God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. Even when there's a power outage. Maybe you experienced that last night. I, as I thought about it, this is kind of like life sometimes. Sometimes life is dark. It's black and we can't see and we wonder what's happening. We wonder what God is doing. So God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. I get that from John Piper and it has randomly popped into my head uh, the past few years, but he tweeted this back in 2012. He said, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life and you may be aware of three of them. So right now in your life, God is doing like 10,000 things and if you're lucky, maybe you're aware of three of them. Maybe four if you're lucky. And we tend to forget this, don't we? God is always working behind the scenes and we can easily lose sight of this. I mean, of course he's doing 10,000 things in our lives. He loves us. As Christians, as disciples, we have been united to his son, Jesus Christ, by faith. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So, of course, God is doing 10,000 things in our lives. We're his children. He wants the best for us. But it's easy to forget, isn't it? Because we usually can only see him doing three or four things if we're lucky. Listen, God is doing things in your life right now that are going to blow your socks off in two years. And you have no idea what he's got planned. You have no idea what he's got cooking. He's working, he's moving, and you are absolutely clueless. And then one day in two years, he's going to move in your life and leave you utterly speechless, flabbergasted. And it was two years in the making, and you had no idea. You were clueless. Well, now you know that he's doing that. God is doing something in your life right now, working behind the scenes to absolutely blow your mind in two years. But you might forget that after this sermon. I hope not, but you probably will, and so will I. It's easy to forget truth. Before God knocks your socks off in two years, things will happen in your life that you didn't ask for. Situations will arise that you didn't plan. Circumstances will change. Life will take a turn that you didn't want to pick. And what will you do then? What are your options when life suddenly flies off the tracks? Do you go crazy? Do you lose it? Do you stress eat your way through a whole bag of Doritos? Or through a whole carton of ice cream? If that's your thing? Or do you ignore reality and just pretend that all is well? I think what we see and what we will see if we read between the lines of this very famous passage in 1 Kings 3. In fact, I was going to show a clip, but I cut it out. But there's a great scene in Seinfeld where what's happening in our passage today, they they take it and they put it on Seinfeld where uh, Kramer gets this bike from Elaine And they debate and they fight over it and they go see Newman and Newman's like, we will cut the bike in half, you know. 
It's a very famous passage. If we read between the lines, we'll discover that we don't have to do the things that I just mentioned. We don't have to resort to going crazy or losing it or stress eating our way to a whole bag of chips or a whole carton of ice cream. Or we don't have to ignore or pretend that all is well. Instead, we can humbly trust that we have access to the king, King Jesus, the wisest man in the world. And we can trust that he is doing 10,000 things in our lives, even when we can't see even one thing that he's doing. We can trust him, that according to his wisdom, He's going to work through the muck and the mire that we experience to slowly conform us to his image and to bring glory to his name. And he's always doing those things in our life. Slowly conforming us to the image of his son Jesus and bringing glory to his name. So when life simply blows up and it feels out of control and it seems like God is nowhere to be found, remember, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. And that's the theology that we will kind of see oozing out of this passage today. That's the angle that I want to approach the text today. And we'll learn it from a prodigal prostitute. I mean, if a prostitute who is not living in a way that honors the Lord, can have all things work together for her good, then certainly we can have that hope too, right? We can, because we're God's children. So let's look at God's word, and let's see what happens when two prostitutes fight over a dead baby. So turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. Remember what we've seen over the past few weeks. The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and gave him wisdom. And then last week we saw in verse 15 that Solomon threw a big party for all his friends and co-workers. And as host, he covered everything. He picked up the check. Food and drinks were on him. And then after the big party, guess what happened? Two prostitutes showed up with a dead baby. How's that for wrapping up a party? Two prostitutes showed up with a dead baby. It looks like Solomon is going to need some of that wisdom. Look at verse 16. Hear the word of the Lord. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, Oh, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. And then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. And when I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. And the first woman said, no, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. And so we have two prostitutes who are roommates and they both give birth a few days apart. I mean, it's like a roommate dream come true, right ladies? Both of you are preggers at the same time and you both give birth just a few days apart. And then in the middle of the night, one of the moms, we'll call her woman number two, 
she accidentally rolls over on top of her newborn, thus suffocating and killing the baby. A very sad situation. It's tragic. It's nothing any parent ever wants to experience, regardless of the situation that caused the pregnancy, like with this woman. So woman number two gets up in the middle of the night and switches her dead baby with the other mom's baby, woman number one's baby. And if you wonder what would make a woman do this, switch a baby out in the middle of the night, keep in mind what these two women do for a living. They're both prostitutes. They're not exactly model Israelite citizens. And neither are the men who visit them. Let's stress that point. If men weren't so perverse, these women wouldn't have jobs. So let's place a majority of the blame on the Israelite men who would go visit these ladies, these prostitutes, and who gave them job security. And so woman number one wakes up, wipes the sleep from her eyes, goes to nurse her baby, and she realizes that her baby is dead. Then she wipes a little more sleep out of her eyes and looks closer and realizes this is not her baby. And moms know, moms, you know which is your baby, don't you? She then looks across the room and she sees that her baby is being nursed by her roommate, woman number two. So the women start fighting over the baby, and then somehow they get a hearing with King Solomon. And since there was no way to do a DNA test, and since Maury Povich hadn't been born yet, Solomon is going to need some of that newfangled wisdom that he got from Yahweh. Look at verse 23. And then the king said, The one says, This is my son that is alive, and your son is dead. And the other says, No, but your son is dead, and my son is the living one. And the king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, oh my Lord, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. But the other woman said, he shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. And then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. So Solomon hears what each woman said, and it's a classic she said, she said situation. Say that ten times real fast. So Solomon is going to get to the bottom of their bickering. He asks for a sword, and he will have the baby cut in two, and he'll give half to each woman. And woman number two is okay with this situation. But the real mom's heart yearns for her son and offers to let the other woman keep the baby. The real mom's heart is moved with compassion. The Hebrew literally is here. Her heart was warmed with compassion. It's the same word used in Psalm 103, verse 13 which says, as the father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And that's when Solomon knows who the real mom is. The real mom would never want to harm her baby. The real mom's heart is warmed with compassion for her baby boy. And so Solomon is able to see through this situation with the two prostitutes and to figure out who the real mother was. How did he do it? Wisdom. God 
given wisdom. Solomon called for a sword. He's going to cut the baby in half. And when the real mother was willing to give up her baby, Solomon knew who the real mother was. This was evidence of the wisdom that God had given to Solomon in that dream. And as the story spread throughout Israel, as verse 28 says, people were in awe of Solomon. And so the question is, what do we do with a passage where a king uses his God-given wisdom to intervene in the life of a prodigal prostitute and save the life of her baby boy? I mean, how do you apply this passage if you're not a pregnant prodigal? Well, the wisdom of Solomon obviously points us to Jesus. King Solomon is able to exercise judgment this way And so, how much more King Jesus? After all, where did Solomon get his wisdom? From King Jesus. Ralph Davis says, The wisdom, discernment, and justice of Solomon point to one who will outstrip Solomon, to one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2.3 And if such a king already has begun to reign, must we not assume as his subjects, that he will never ordain anything in our circumstances except what is in line with wisdom at its highest and best. Here's what he's saying. If we serve King Jesus, he will never ordain anything in our circumstances except what is in line with his wisdom, which is the highest wisdom and the best wisdom. Listen, King Jesus is reigning on his throne right now. And he will never ordain anything in our circumstances except what is in line with his wisdom. Not your wisdom, not my wisdom, not the way you want things to be, not the way I want things to be, according to his wisdom. And that means that you can trust him right now. Whatever is happening in your life, Christian, is being orchestrated by a loving and wise and sovereign God. And Jesus is intimately involved in your life, directing it according to his wisdom, the highest and the best wisdom. Think about that. Jesus is directing your life according to his wisdom. That should warm your heart. And even if you, like the original audience of First and Second Kings, even if you have made a mess of your life, Jesus wants you to know today that your sin does not have the last word. Your sin does not have the last word in your life. Jesus is alive and well, despite your circumstances. He's the king on his throne now, reigning, and you can trust him. Because in this life, unforeseen circumstances will occur, just like this prostitute who almost had her baby taken away by CPS. And these circumstances that crop up in your life will captivate your heart. You may suffer, and it may be hard to sleep, and hard to eat, and hard to focus. And when these times come, we will all be tempted to fear because our earthly security is being threatened. And so it's easy to fear when life falls apart. But here's the good news of the gospel. God is in control, and he is with you, 
as you face these uncertainties. Emmanuel, we sang it this morning, God with us. We sang about having access to this king. Yes, there will be times in your life when it seems like God is hidden. Sometimes it seems like God is nowhere to be found. And it's difficult. And it's a fight of faith. It's a fight of faith. I was doing it this morning. Fighting. So I thought, you know, I'm going to print out these verses and share. What I was doing this morning is I was fighting the good fight of faith. Because I don't wake up on top of the world. So I turn to Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And then I turn to Psalm 36, verses 5 through 10. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heaven. Your faithfulness to the clouds. And I was just saying, God, I believe this morning. I'm fighting to believe this truth. Your faithfulness goes all the way up to the clouds. And your righteousness is like the mountains of God. And your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast, you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. And I'm taking refuge in the shadow of your wings this morning, Lord. And they feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of delights. And you're not a stingy God. And I'm drinking and eating this morning from the abundance of your house. For you, with you is the fountain of life, and in your light do we see light. Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. And then Psalm 31, verse 19. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. And so I was fighting, using these words, verses, fighting. God, your faithfulness to me and my family in this church, it extends to the clouds and your judgments are like the deep ocean. Oh God, help me understand when I don't understand and know what's going on. Your judgments are deep. I can't even plumb those depths. But help me to trust and to believe. And you have abundant goodness, according to Psalm 31, verse 19. Stored up for me, stored up for my family, stored up for this church. Oh God, Pour out that abundant goodness on us. That's how you fight for faith. That's how I was fighting the good fight of faith this morning. Sometimes it seems like God is nowhere to be found, and it's difficult. And believing what we cannot see is hard. But you are not alone, Christian. Jesus may seem hidden, but he is with you when it feels hopeless or you are uncertain about what will happen next. Sometimes life feels so out of control and we wonder how God is going to intervene and work it for our good. But when life isn't good, we may be tempted to think that God isn't good. But God's word tells us over and over in so many different ways that God is good when life isn't. God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. Before we can begin to understand what God is doing in our lives, our circumstances can look all wrong. It can be dark like it was last night with this power outage. And that's why it's a fight of faith. That's why we may be tempted in those dark times with the unknown. We may be tempted to think that God's inactivity, not seeing him intervene and do something, not answering our prayers the way we want, when we want, we may think that that is God being unloving. When God is absent, when he seems hidden, it can seem like there's no hope. 
Certainly the original audience of the books of First and Second Kings wondered where God was as they sat in exile, waiting and waiting and waiting to be restored and to come home to Israel, to come home to the promised land. And so when God doesn't respond according to our timetable, when he doesn't answer our prayers in the way and in the time we want, when he doesn't show up the way we wish he would, we often begin to entertain thoughts that he's not loving and that perhaps he doesn't care. But his inactivity according to our schedule, it's actually him loving us. His inactivity according to our schedule, God, this is what I want you to do. When I want you to do it, do it now, please. And when there's inactivity on his part, it's actually him loving us in those moments. We think that he's being inactive. We think that he's hidden, but he's actually working, working behind the scenes, doing 10,000 unseen things to bring us good and to knock our socks off in the future. And he's loving us in those moments of uncertainty. Let me tell you, there have been so many times I've begged and pleaded with God, do this, let this happen, please. And then sometimes six months or a year later, I'm like, I'm so glad he didn't answer that prayer. Oh my God, I'm so glad you didn't answer that prayer. Thank you. But back then, I wanted it so bad. I was convinced this is God's will. This is what he wants. And I beg and I say, please, why don't you answer? And as time goes by, I look back and I'm like, oh God, Thank you for not giving me that. He's loving us in those moments of uncertainty when he's not answering our prayers the way we want and when we want. He's transforming us. Sanctification is taking place. He's slowly changing us and renewing us and redeeming us. He's conforming us to the image of his son, Jesus. And he's working behind the scenes for our good. He doesn't always answer right away, Sometimes just to help us refocus on him, to renew our love, to renew prayer. Sometimes we don't pray. Maybe you never struggle with prayer, but sometimes we don't pray. And maybe God sometimes seems hidden so that we will seek his face because he desires a relationship with us. And so understand this, Grace. The Christian life is not about trying to figure out what God is doing. It's about faith. It's about faith that he is doing 10,000 things, even when we're only aware of three of them. Following Jesus as a disciple is not about trying to make sense of things. It's about trust. I mean, we want to know what God is doing, don't we? But guess what? We never will. We may get glimpses, but we'll never be able to see through God's providence perfectly and clearly. And so we might as well, one, get used to it, and two, do the one thing that will bring us the peace that we're looking for in those moments, which is to honor and glorify God by simply trusting Him. Now think about the mother here in 1 Kings. Think about this prostitute. She, no doubt, was scared. I mean, imagine what she's feeling in this moment. She is accused of kidnapping. She's scared that her baby is going to be taken away by CPS. She's scared that her baby is not just going to be taken away by CPS, but cut in half by King Solomon's sword. She thought she was going home with half of her baby. So the fear is real for this woman. And when you suffer, the fear is real too. But Jesus knows your fears. And you know what? Jesus doesn't minimize your fears. 
Jesus doesn't shame you because you have fears. He doesn't shame you because you have panic attacks or you struggle with anxiety. Let me say that again because I think I may be speaking to someone here today. Jesus does not shame you because you have fears. Jesus does not shame you because you have panic attacks. Jesus does not shame you because you struggle with anxiety. He doesn't scold you because you are afraid. He doesn't come alongside you and say, just get with the program, bro. Come on, this thing is not that big of a deal. Get over it. He doesn't do that. Jesus does not minimize our fears. And he doesn't shame us because of them either. He doesn't scold us. Instead, King Jesus, full of wisdom, full of compassion, just simply says this to us. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Luke 12, 32. The wise, compassionate king says, don't fear, little one. Your heavenly Father delights to give you the kingdom like a parent with a child. The power outage last night. How many little kids were scared? All of a sudden, it's just unknown. It's dark. It's black. You don't have to fear because daddy's here. Now, think again about the original audience of First and Second Kings. Think about the hope that this scene with Solomon and the prostitutes offered to the original audience who were in exile. They are hearing once again that Yahweh is the sovereign Lord, that he is a just God, and that he is in control of everything, and that his wisdom was available to them. They were being reminded as they read the books of First and Second Kings, or as they heard them read aloud, they are being reminded that Yahweh is not only wise, but that he's also just, and that he would do right, and that he would work on their behalf, even as they suffered the consequences of their sin. And they were being reminded that wisdom was available. Wisdom to navigate their mess. Navigate the consequences of their sin. Navigate the muck and the mire of their situation. I mean, who would plan that a prodigal prostitute would be perhaps the very first person to experience the wisdom of Solomon? Who would plan that? Yahweh. The Lord, God planned it. And at the very least, if she wasn't the first person to experience Solomon's wisdom, at the very least, the writer of First and Second Kings was inspired to include this as the very first story about Solomon's wisdom. Now why? To give hope to the prodigal nation in exile. Here's a prodigal prostitute who has grown up in Israel and has left her love, Yahweh, left the Lord, and is now chasing after other lovers. And God in his wisdom says, I'm going to use that woman's story to give hope to my prodigal children as they sit in exile. To remind them that there's mercy for those who turn away. And there's wisdom to navigate the mess that our sin and our rebellion causes. And this prostitute, the true mother, she had no hope that Solomon was going to dispense this wisdom or that he would even pick her of the two. She had the trust that the king would do what was right. Now, how much more 
does this speak to and comfort our hearts? We are God's children. We were just singing that as well. Chet and I talk all the time about how the Holy Spirit crafts these services. We don't work on this. Holy Spirit likes to show off. We're just singing that we're God's children. We're the children of the King, and He always works things for our good. And so that means that you can trust God further than you can see Him right now. You, like this prostitute, do not know what's going to happen in your future. But you can trust that your Father will be with you when the future arrives. In fact, God is already there in your future, waiting for you and your situation to show up. You can't see into the future. You can't see what God is doing right now. But you can trust Him further than you can see Him. Because right now, right now, in your life, God is doing 10,000 things. And if you're lucky, maybe you're aware of three of them. But one day, Jesus will sit down with us and he will explain all the 10,000 things that he was doing that we had no idea about. One day, Jesus will show us all the 10,000 things that he was doing in our lives and how they were all interconnected and they brought good to us and they brought glory to his name. So here's how I picture it will be. Here's how I like to picture it going down in heaven someday on the new earth. When Jesus comes back and makes everything new, this is how I picture it. So indulge me for a moment, if you will. Sometime after Jesus returns, which could be today, and he makes everything new again, after he ushers in the new heavens and the new earth, and we're in our glorified bodies, I like to imagine that Jesus will swing by my house one day. And Heather, my wife, will be there with me, which is so awesome. Because we're planning on being together in the new kingdom, on the new earth. And she will be with me in our house, and we'll be sitting at this very large kitchen table, which seats like 40 to 50 people. And we will have this large table in our house on the new earth, because my kids and grandkids and great-grandkids will always be coming over to see us. And so I picture me and Heather sitting at this large table, enjoying each other's company, drinking a cup of tea, and then our doorbell rings. And I say, come in, because it's heaven. So it doesn't matter who's at the door, right? You can trust them. You don't have to fear who might walk in. So I say, come in, and it's Jesus. And of course, Heather and I are excited and we're still smitten to see him even though it's been 10,000 years and we've been with him in heaven. We're still smitten to see him. And so we each give him a hug and we sit down at our large kitchen table, just the three of us, and Heather asks Jesus if he would like a cup of tea and he says yes. And Jesus has this long tube in his hand, like those long tubes that like architectural plans come in. And he opens it up and he pulls out these plans and he spreads them out on our gigantic kitchen table. And then he says, I want to show you something. I want to show you what I was doing in your life when you experienced all of those hardships that you went through back on the old earth. And then one by one, Jesus will point to and pick out certain situations and trials and the pain and the sorrow that we endured. And he will show us how he used each one and worked through each one for our good and for his glory. Because they're all interconnected. 
and Heather and I will be awestruck and dumbfounded and flabbergasted at what we see. How people came to saving faith in Christ because of what we went through. How he was transforming us through our hardship. How our prayers for our children brought good into their lives. How what we endured encouraged other believers. How we grew closer to Jesus through the difficult seasons. How we grew closer to each other in our marriage as we walked together through suffering. And how the church was strengthened as we went through dark seasons of the unknown. So that's how I picture it. And that's what Jesus will do for each one of you too. He'll roll out these architectural plans and show you every way that he was working for your good through everything that happened in your life, how it was all interconnected. It wasn't random. It was all interconnected. And he will show you his wisdom in not answering that prayer the way that you wanted. He will sit down and he will point to it and say, Let me show you my wisdom in not answering that prayer the way that you wanted. He'll show you his wisdom in how he used that heartbreaking situation that's tearing you up today to bring good into your life and to bring glory to his name. He'll show you how whatever you're going through right now, whatever it is, how what's breaking your heart today, whatever it is, how he used it to bring good into your life. He'll show you how nothing could stop his power from working for your good. He'll show you how what you were going through right now was actually transforming you, even when you couldn't see it, and was actually conforming you to his image. And you'll just sit there with your mouth open mouth agape, flabbergasted, and tears of joy will well up in your eyes. And you'll just be silent at first. You'll be completely dumbfounded because right now what you are going through is so overwhelming and heart-wrenching that it feels like nothing good could ever come out of it. And so you'll sit there on that day and you'll remember how your heart was breaking today on February 24, 2019 and you'll remember the sadness and the heartache and you'll remember the pain and the sorrow and how you thought it would never end and there could be no happy ending. And so you'll just sit there on that day with tears of joy in your eyes, absolutely flabbergasted that Jesus was so compassionate and used his kingly wisdom and power to work in such a way in your life. And then Jesus will say, would you like some more tea? And he'll pour some hot water in your cup and give you a tea bag because he's a servant and he'll still humbly serve us in heaven. And then the lyrics to Amazing Grace that you had been singing all your life, then they'll really make sense to you. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures, and he will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. 
So what's going on in your world today? What danger, toil, or snare are you going through? Where is your heart breaking? Where's sadness weighed you down? What's got you stressed out today? You don't have to resort to going crazy or losing it or stress eating your way through a bag of chips or a carton of ice cream or ignore reality, try to pretend that all is well. Instead, you can humbly trust that you have access to the king, which we sang that earlier, the wisest man in the world. And you can trust him to work in and through the muck and mire to slowly conform you to his image and to bring glory to his name. And then one day, you can both talk about it over a cup of hot tea. John Bloom says in his book, Not By Sight, he says, much of the Christian life is spent trusting Jesus now and understanding him later. Jesus typically does not feel it necessary to explain on the front end why he is doing something the way he is doing it. His purposes for bringing or not bringing certain things to pass often extend far beyond us, maybe even generations beyond us. This prostitute in 1 Kings chapter 3 could not have known that she would be one of the characters in a story from the Bible being preached on February 24, 2019 at Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. She didn't know that when she used to walk the streets at night, that one of her encounters would lead to her pregnancy and then lead her to gain an audience with King Solomon and then ultimately to end up in the Bible. She didn't know that her story would inspire the writing of Seinfeld. Her situation, her story, her suffering extended beyond her, generations beyond her. And she was a prostitute. She was most likely an Israelite, but she wasn't living the way she was raised. And God worked in her life and spared her baby. God was kind to this woman who was a prodigal chasing after other lovers. He was kind to this woman who was a part of the covenant community, even though she wasn't living a life pleasing to Yahweh. Now, we don't know if she came to saving faith. Maybe she did. But God was kind to her because that's the kind of God he is. We were even singing that earlier. You've been so, so kind to me. I think the Holy Spirit's talking to us today. Maybe you're here and you're a prodigal. You've been chasing after other lovers, a million other things that try to satisfy you. And you know that God's reckless love has been chasing you down. Jesus loves you. Come home. Come home and return to your first love today. He will have you. And parents, that means if you have a prodigal son or daughter, God is still working in their lives. God is doing 10,000 things in the life of your prodigal and they have no clue. His goodness to this prostitute is a reminder that God is still working in your kid's heart. No matter how far they think they are running away from God, Jesus is still going to pursue them and show them kindness and be good to them. Think about this prostitute. She grew up in the church. She knew all the Bible verses. She could recite the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. She knew what the sacrifices were about. She knew about Passover. She knew about the Day of Atonement. 
And when she went to bed one night, she went to bed a brand new mom. A prostitute, yes, but still a brand new mom. A prostitute who was running away from Yahweh. And she woke up to this terrible accusation and lie and almost had her baby taken away by CPS and even almost had her baby chopped in half. And yet God, in his goodness, had Solomon sitting on the throne with freshly given wisdom ready to intervene for her. The prodigal prostitute was being cared for by a good God. It's amazing. And I think God has Solomons out there for your prodigal too. Jesus has Solomons out there and he's going to keep sending them across the path of your prodigal son or daughter. So don't give up. Trust him that he's still working in their lives. Your prodigal is loved by Jesus. So keep praying and don't give up. And don't forget, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. And even if you forget that, God will still be doing 10,000 things in your life. Why? Because that's the kind of God he is. Even if you forget the big idea of our sermon today, which most of us will, God will still be doing 10,000 things in our life. Why? Because that's the kind of God he is. He's generous. He's gentle. He's compassionate. He's kind to sinners. Let's close with something that John Piper said. He said, there are three granite foundation stones under this confidence. God's love, God's sovereignty, God's wisdom. Love. In the death of Christ on our behalf, God has totally removed his wrath from us. Now there is not only no condemnation, But now, God is only merciful. Even his discipline is all mercy. Sovereignty. There is no power in the universe that can stop him from fulfilling his totally good plans for you. Job 42, verse 2. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Wisdom. God's infinite wisdom always sees a way to bring the greatest good out of the most painful and complex situations. Romans eleven thirty three, oh Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Therefore, no matter what you face this year, God will be doing 10,000 things in your life that you cannot see. Trust him, love him, and they will all be good for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your compassion. We, those of us with children, have compassion on our children when they suffer. You how much more you have compassion on us. Your heart breaks when our hearts are breaking. Your heart warms up with compassion. We thank you for your wisdom too. How you orchestrate and direct 
everything that's happening in our lives, how you're able to take complex, difficult, heart-wrenching situations and turn them for our good. Only a God like you could do that. And we thank you for sending Jesus who has cured and solved our biggest problem, that we are sinners. Thank you that he lived a perfect life and died a perfect death for us and you raised him from the dead and he's coming again one day to make all things new. May we rehearse this good news often. Continue to conform us to his image so that you get glory now and so that you get glory on that day. And for those of us, Father, anyone here who has a prodigal son or daughter, send a Solomon across their path today and bring them home, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.